When this happened, you talked about it on The Fan. Drafted in 1988 in the 62nd round, the 1390th pick overall. Today, he calls Cooperstown home. Mike Piazza, welcome to the Hall of Fame. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Inside the 10 o'clock hour on the fan, joining us right now is Christian Winfield, Nets and NBA reporter for your New York Daily News. What's up, Chris Splashed? What's going on, brother? How you feeling today, man? Always good, always blessed. Thank you for taking the time out to join us. Before we get into the hoops, I just looked at your Twitter. You lost 26 pounds? Hey, bro, I got another 26 to go. But listen, man, I, I just left the Mile High Run Club, just ran about four miles in about 50 minutes, man. It's tough. But, uh, you know, we eating right. We working out. We, we ready for summer 23, bro. You know what time it is. Bro, I'm proud of you, man. I know you're already chefing it up. You've been chefing it up. I know you're already nice in the kitchen. That's where you really lose the weight. That's where you get the abs. That's where you really, you know, see the, the, the gains and the cuts. But you and I got to get in the gym, bro. I know we were talking about that at Media Day. We got to find a, a gym here in New York. I don't have a membership, but you hey, give, me a hey, guest, bro. Give, give me a we, guest pass. I'm pulling up. Hey, I got you. I, I, I'll hold it down, bro. Let's let's get some working. I'm trying to get on my Keith status. You feel me? I see you in the gym, brother. I'm, I'm trying to get like you. Yeah, my abs are fading. My abs are fading. I need to... <laughs> I need to take it a little more serious, but the winter, you know how the winter goes. You come off the holidays, mm-hmm. hibernating. Now it's time to get right before it gets warm in like a month and a half. But, yeah, uh, we're here to talk basketball, bro. You're the man, and you've been writing about um, a few different things. We'll start with the Knicks, though. Obviously, this is New York, and, uh, <laughs> you know, Knicks fans have felt like, you know, the uh, town was under different management, but now it's back under the old management, and I am glad that the uh, trade deadline is in the past and that whack all-star weekend is in the past. So let's look, look let's look forward to what the Knicks could potentially do here. I know you wrote about the Nets. We'll get to that in a second, but I think the Knicks really have an opportunity to make a push to rise up to that fifth, maybe fourth seed. And uh that's where they were last time that they made the playoffs, the fourth seed. Uh what are you thinking the outlook for the Knicks can be? Like I'm I'm not holding anything against them. They've got a couple um well, one new player. They they've just got a, a new energy about them with Jalen Brunson this season, and uh, I'm not sleeping on what they could potentially do here. Yeah, I- I'm really bullish on the Knicks, uh, especially after you consider they adding Jalen Brunson with that hole that they had at the point guard for what felt like forever, finally getting a steady force there, and you just see how the game changes. And then on top of that, I, I thought Josh Hart was a really good pickup. That's a guy who's going to space the floor, shoot threes, crash the glass, and play defense and play hard, right? That's that's the way you win over a fan base, right? What what do Knicks fans want more than a guy who's going to go out there and give you 110% while he's out there? I, I thought that was a great pickup. Um, I, I just want to see what this whole thing looks like in the playoffs. I feel like last time we saw Julius Randle in the playoffs, it didn't look so well, right? Like, what does that look like this time around? But I like what the Knicks have been able to do. Um, I want to see RJ maybe take another step, maybe two steps forward, right? We've seen him kind of regress a bit this season. But, you know, I, I like what the Knicks are cooking this season. Um, and obviously now that KD and Kyrie are out of town, they're the team to to beat in New York City, if you ask me. Yeah, and that's how the hype gets driven up. They win games, they get back, they have a higher seed in the playoffs, and they re-enter the playoffs. They're about to get 
Mitchell Robinson back. That's going right. to also give them another boost. It's it's a different energy around the Knicks. Uh, I I really you know I'm an, obviously a Nets fan. I've definitely trolled Knicks fans and hated on them, <laughs> but like I really have nothing. I have nothing to say right now with uh, what's going on in Brooklyn. I think the Knicks that are you know right under the Nets and with the Nets coming to the Garden on March first, like they have an opportunity to uh, win some games in this second half and put themselves in good position to make some noise in the playoffs. A hundred percent. And you talk about you know the Knicks and Nets. You know, the the Nets kind of had a monopoly on this rivalry for the last couple of years because obviously you've got KD and Kyrie. How are you going to beat those two guys? Uh, but the Knicks made a statement in that last game. Granted, you know, you had guys that weren't accustomed to playing each other. Mikael Bridges shoots two for eight. But to come out there and, and beat the Nets the way they did, I, I thought that was a statement kind of like a change to the guard. And then you look at just the, the standings and the schedule in the second half of the season for the Nets. I mean, the Nets have the seventh toughest uh, remaining schedule in all the basketball right now. And they've got a group of guys that are still trying to figure out how to play with one another. And on top of that, they don't necessarily have a closer unless you're considering that to be either a Spencer Dinwiddie or a Mikhail Bridges. I don't think we're going to see Cam Thomas play too many crunch time minutes. So it, it's tough there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, first of all, the, the Knicks flip the Nets in the standings pretty soon. But second, as we're about to talk, the, the Nets are going to have to fight for their playoff lives here. You've got teams at the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture that I feel have played below their means. And you've got a Nets team that's still trying to do what now? Build chemistry, entering the second half of the season? That's going to be tough. So uh, I'm interested to see how this all plays out. But I think the Knicks have a, a good shot at finishing maybe top four, maybe number five in the East this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm always the optimistic Nets fan. But more and more, I feel like we're going back to the days of like, the Nets just not having it, bro. I'm, I'm I'm in full Nets gear in here. Hat, hoodie, jacket. I'm trying to believe, but like we, oh, did, we did talk in Nets today, and I looked at the schedule, and I also looked at, looked at your article before I looked at the schedule. You put that article out, I think, two days ago, and then I actually looked, and I'm like, this is not the time to be figuring out rotations and roles, and you've got so many of these guys on the Nets, whether it's Cam Thomas, whether it's Ben Simmons, whether it's Seth Curry, Joe Harris, like you got to figure out these pieces. Nick Claxton, Dayron Sharp, like you got to figure out who is who and what is what while you're playing against playoff teams that have been playing for a long time. And in the NBA, that cohesion is is a real thing. When you look at teams like the Celtics, who they're going to face, the Bucks, who they're going to face, the Nuggets, who they're going to face, these guys have been in battles together. They're ready to go. The Nets have not been in battles together. And, uh, you know, the superstar era ends. KD Kyrie like to shrug the whole thing off. Like, yeah, you know, it's entertainment. Yeah, we left them in a good spot. The the future's bright. But uh, they're, they're, they're headed for, for the play-in unless something miraculous happens. And I just got to cross my fingers and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really what it is. You know, I'll, I'll say this. You know, Jacques Vaughn, I think, is in perfect position for this job. And what he's saying right now is, you know, we might not be the most talented. We might not have the closers through. We might not even have chemistry. But what we're going to do is go out there and play as hard as we can for 48 minutes and live with the results. And quite frankly, I think that can win you some games, right, as opposed to the last few seasons where you've seen this, this Nets team kind of come out and not give you any effort and lose to teams like the Pistons and, and things like that. Now you've got a team where you've got a lot of guys with chips on their shoulders. You've got a lot of guys who can play defense, who can run, play with pace, shoot threes. You know, the formula, it sounds good up until, and I keep saying this, up until you're in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter. 
Right. When you're in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter, that's where you throw the ball to Kevin Durant on the elbow or where you ISO for Kyrie, and you don't have that luxury anymore. And I think we're going to watch the Nets play a lot of games where it's really tight for the first three quarters, and then that six-minute mark comes around in the fourth, and you start to see the wheels fall off because that's where opponent defenses start to ratchet their effort up. That's where other teams, where if, like we talked about, you look at that schedule – you got a lot of teams, I'd say about 16 or 17 of those teams that you're going to play in the Final 24, they're all going to have a bona fide closer on the floor. And if Mikhail Bridges isn't going to be that guy every game, I'm not sure we can expect him to score 40, 30 every game. I don't think that's realistic. It's going to be difficult for this team to generate crunch time offense. So they're going to have to hold teams in that 85 to 90 point sweet spot. I'm not sure how realistic that is either, given how many teams are shooting so many threes and playing fast. It's going to be difficult, but end of the day, you've got a team that, you know, Jacques Vaughn says he's going to force them to play as hard as they can. The defensive potential is through the roof, right? So if you can hold teams to below 90, I think you have a chance. Uh, and you've got depth as well. You've got guys that can shoot. You've got guys that can run. And you still have a wild card here. And, uh, you know, Ben Simmons hasn't played his best basketball. In Man, Brooklyn stop that. Least. Don't even do We're, it. I know. Listen, I'm not trying to give him an out. I'm not trying to. Uh, listen, wild I'm the card. first person to go around and say, listen, Ben Simmons needs to play better. In his last four games, he's averaging four points, four rebounds, and four assists. I've said it before. That's not the 444 that Hope was talking about. But, listen, <laughs> every time he has time off, he comes back playing better, right? He had that first set of four games that he missed after the back-to-back uh, where he had the left calf issue, and he came back, and that he was averaging about 15, 7, and 7 for a few games until he re-aggravated that knee again. This is a nice about 10-day break for Simmons to rest and recharge. If he doesn't show us something in these next couple weeks or in these next these first few games coming out of the All-Star break, I'm not sure what more we can expect because this is a period for him to recharge and play. So uh, I'm expecting to see him play well. If not, then I think we should have a reason to worry. Yeah, and he deleted all of his Instagram posts, so he's going dark like LeBron for the second half. He's he's going to be locked in. I'm, I'm already bracing for impact, bro. Like, I love the Nets. I love the NBA. And I'm excited to see the playoffs, but I just, like, I'm ready for the hurt. I'm ready for the disappointment. <laughs> like, this, this season got blown up a couple weeks ago. And uh, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping for the best because I put out there, hey, all they have to do to be better than Katie and Kyrie's last full season is not be a playing team or if they're a playing team, survive the play-in and just win one playoff game. Get the gentleman sweep. Don't get outright swept like Katie and Kyrie did last year. But, man, I don't know. This is, a, this is a mess. So when I say it's a mess, right, out of all of this superstar era, you get Katie, Kyrie, you get Harden. These guys all leave. You're left with Ben Simmons. How? It's not even a fully healthy Ben Simmons either. It'd be one thing if we're talking about 100% Ben Simmons, right? This is what we've seen this season. If we've seen glimpses of like maybe 75% Ben Simmons and the rest of it has all been like 30 no, to 40%. That's Ben Simmons. That's just not 2019, 2020 Ben Simmons, but that's him. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's him. I, yeah. see, I see him with, with his designer fits on. That's the same guy. <laughs> it's terrible, but it's. It's the situation at hand now, and you know, Sean Marks was able to recoup some of the draft picks that he traded that he traded away to get James Harden. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're in a situation now where you're left with you had a chance, and I'll never forget it when Sean Marks said, "You know, we'll have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden signed, sealed, and delivered." <laughs> you had a chance to have that trio in town for God knows how many years—four years, five years—and just unable to do that. 
And then on top of that, using those guys to sell promotional materials for season ticket holders. I had the moment everything started blowing up, I had season ticket holders telling me, did we buy tickets just to watch Ben Simmons play at 50% for the rest of the year? And, and that's a real thing, right? So you've got that situation, but you're also hoping that this is a team that can maybe stay 500. If the Nets are able to float around 500 for the rest of the season, I think that's a huge success. Um, but then again, that's just going to lead you to the play-in where I, I'm not sure. I would like to hope that this team finds ways to close games down the stretch. But if we're talking about having to beat Trey Young in a sudden death game, having to beat if the Chicago Bulls go on a run and you've got to face DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine and they're motivated in a, in a sudden death game, I, I, I just don't seem – I don't think I like the Nets' odds in those games just because you've got other bona fide star closers against a team that's still trying to figure it out. So uh, tough hand for the Nets, especially given where they started the season – um, organization was completely blindsided. Kevin was also blindsided by Kyrie asking out when he did. Um, and you kind of just see all the dominoes fall from there. Yeah, the Nets world is bracing for impact. I mean, Jacques Vaughn just gets this extension um, a couple days ago, and that's news. And I guess it's a feel-good story because Jacques Vaughn is a guy that played for the Nets, that was an assistant coach. He got to be the interim coach in the bubble, and then they you know, they just dissed him a couple times uh, you know, with, with Steve Nash and now he's extended, and I feel like the Nets are leaning into this, like, culture, getting back to our roots and getting back to the Brooklyn grit and the Brooklyn way and a team that we can be proud of and a fun, lovable coach like Jacques Vaughn and all of these pieces that are going to play hard. And at the end of the day, you're like, what does that matter if you don't actually win and advance? Like, a feel-good story is not what this era was supposed to be, but this era is officially over and uh, now we'll see a little bit of a swing. I, I've been saying that this Nets world has been built. Like, the arena is different from 2013 when I was pulling up, 2015 when I was pulling up, 2018 when I was pulling up. There's definitely a, a solid fan base. Like, there's actually Nets fans that are rooting for the team, chanting, sure. let's go Nets in defense. But now you're banking on Mikael Bridges being your star player. You're banking on uh, Spencer Dinwiddie leading the way. No knock on Spence. He's just one of our own, right? He, it's great that he came back. But at the end of the game, like you're saying, if we're in a situation where you're playing against DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, you expect them to close you out in the fourth quarter. So I don't know, man. I'm I'm, I'm getting ready for baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this, right? So we had the phone call with Jacques Vaughn today, and he said something interesting. He said that the Nets are basically using some of the old sets that Mikael Bridges ran in Phoenix while Devin Booker was out, and he was averaging something close to like 20 or 25 points during that stretch. Um, but not only are they doing that, they're also trying to implement the same sets that they ran for Kevin Durant, which was interesting. That kind of caught my ear. I was like, okay, so we're, we're talking about pin-down screens coming up to the elbow that then allow Mikael Bridges to operate in that mid-range. And, and just when he had that 45-point game the other day, that was – kind of a, a, a look into how he's able to do that. He's able to operate around that foul line extended area pretty efficiently, a lot more efficiently than I had expected him to be able to uh, when he got here. So if he's able to, to generate some of that isolation offense and, and work within the flow to get looks, I think it's possible for him to be this team's closer. It's just that this is his first time that he's going to actually be in that role with all the pressure that comes with it, right? Even when he was in that role in Phoenix, there was still the assumption that Devin Booker was coming back. Devin Booker ain't walking through that door now, right? Not, neither are Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, whatever it is. And let me also give Spencer his flowers. Spencer hit some really big shots 
uh, for the Nets over the years. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's somebody that also steps up. It's just a matter of you've got so much star power elsewhere in this Eastern Conference that it's going to be tough for this team to uh, to close out games. So, I mean, credit to Jacques Vaughn. I think he's far more deserving of this extension. I see some people on Twitter talking about, oh, we should have held out and signed Ime Udoka because apparently the Hawks are interested in signing him nah, to replace can't go that route, man. I, I just don't think that would have been a good look, especially if you consider everything that was going on with Kyrie at the time when they were considering signing. That, it as the person who would have been writing about that, it, had it happened, it would have been terrible. The headlines would have been awful for the Nets if they went that route. I, I think Jacques Vaughn is the right guy for the job. Uh, I'd just like to see him, you know, I'd, I'd like to see some more pieces on this team moving forward. You look at the draft capital they have, the young players they can wheel and deal. This is a team that can re-up, maybe get another star sometime soon. But now, look, now you have to consider you had three superstar players all request trades from this front office. What other star players are going to want to come here, you know, on their own volition? So. Yeah, that's what they're saying. I still think the Nets world has been building. There's going to be some superstars that come here again. I know obviously the rivalry uh, got fired up because Katie and Kyrie chose Brooklyn over the Knicks. But hey, Mm -hmm. this might be a season where the Knicks finish better than the Nets. And uh, all those Knicks fans that switched up and, you know, bought B hats, they're going to pick up a blue and orange hat and pop up out of the bush (laughs) like Homer Simpson again. Yeah, man, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Um, especially when you, I mean, you got to remember also Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving brought their own fans as well. And I, I forgot to mention this though. I agree with your point about the Nets fan base being stronger now than it's ever been. I mean, I, I, I traveled to Philly for a couple games this season and you could hear Nets fans there traveling to Philly at the garden. The Brooklyn Brigade. Yep. Shout out to Bobby on, yeah, and, and the whole gang. They travel yeah. well and, and they are legit Net fans. And yeah. we've we've filtered some of the stands out. I literally, bro, I have people <laughs> I have people that run Kyrie and Katie's like Instagram pages DMing me like, yo, appreciate you, bro, but I'ma head out. <laughs> like signing off when they got traded. I'm like, I didn't respond to anyone. I'm like, why do you feel the need to message me on my personal account or talking nets to say like, hey, great following your content, but you know, I'm gonna be in Dallas or I'm gonna be following Phoenix stuff. Like, go on your way. Goodbye. Oh man, you know they can't they can't leave quietly. They gotta they gotta <laughs> announce their their departure. But I mean, listen, it's an opportunity for the the actual diehard Nets fans to show just how much they support this team. Um, and, and I hope they do because this is a team that's gonna need every fan that they have to support them because this last stretch of the season is gonna be tough. You know, um, I think another thing we gotta watch out for is Cam Thomas and how he fits into this whole situation. He played one of his best games against the against I believe the Miami. He had 19 points, a uh, few assists. Mm-hmm. You know, played played some Coming played well. Bench. And then post game, he he's looking like he's kind of sad and or or mad or upset. Yeah, because he, he made history, minutes. bro. He had back to back to back 40 point games. And Katie and Kyrie get out of the way. He's like, oh, I'm the captain now. And Jacques Vaughn said, no, you're 21 years old. You're a second year <laughs> player. Um, you're gonna come off the bench. We're gonna let these veterans rock. And then. It's tough for him. He doesn't smile. He's the guy. He just trademarked ain't funny. I can't say it on air, but, like, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, ain't, ain't nothing funny except the minutes he's getting. And it's unfortunate now because you got to fold Seth Curry back into the rotation. And Jacques just said earlier today, hey, Seth is going to be our backup point guard. So Saw where that. does that leave Cam? I don't I leave Cam on the periphery of the rotation for a guy who just scored 40 points three games in a row. That's a tough spot to be in for him. So I'm I'm curious to see how everything shakes out with him for the remainder of the season for sure. Yo, 
Appreciate you joining me, bro. Tell your father I said hello. Uh, he might be listening. I know you're Hey, he's me. listening right now. Hey, Shout out to up, my pops? pops, man. Stop playing. Hey, good stuff. Appreciate you, bro. We got to take <laughs> this break right here. Keep McPherson on the fan. Now we're talking basketball. You can call me up, talk Knicks, talk Nets, and we'll get back into the Yankees conversation. Of course, I'm going to sprinkle some Mets in there. 877-337. A six of six and two more sixes get you on the show. We'll be right back. Your official station to talk Jets. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. And here we go. Back from break on this Ash Wednesday Shout out to the GOAT from Pallet Town. We used to spend a lot of time together. Keith McPherson on the fan. I wanted to go back to a couple things I had in my notes that I couldn't get in from, um, you know, a call. And uh, we'll kind of reset here. Now I have no more guests. And usually when we get to this time, 10.30, 11-ish, it's like the last run of my show. So it's open mic. We'll talk about anything. If we have to talk about Aaron Rodgers and give him more attention, it's fine. It's fine. I understand. Derek Carr, Daniel Jones, we we did that. Um, but, yeah, in my notes, uh, the, the Josh Donaldson, Tim Anderson thing I wanted to speak more on because, you know, hey, it's Black History Month, man. And if you've heard me, I've been speaking about black history is a American history, right? I'm a black American. I've never been to Africa. I'm not an African-American, but I understand the political correctness, whatever, um, and I just think that we have to get to a place where people are less offended, which is impossible now with the Internet and the overreaction on Twitter, uh, but where people are having more conversations and more dialogue. And, uh, you know, I know Emmanuel Acho came out with the uncomfortable conversations with a black man. He doesn't do that anymore. That was like a weird pandemic thing. And there was a lot of weird things that went on in 2020. But here we are in 23. I think we just got to get back to a place where we're not just jumping to race all the time. We're not just like, there. there is racism, and we know it when we see it, blatant racism. I'm a black man that has dealt with it every year of my life, from when I was too young to really understand what it was, even to this year where, you know, I, I feel it. I know it. I see it when I see it. And um, with Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson last year, I just, you know, as much as I think Josh Donaldson is a punk and an agitator and, I, you know, I think the guy's got to stop pimping home runs and, and follow the lead of one Aaron Judge, be more like Judge as, as the captain. I don't think he's racist, and I didn't think him calling Tim Anderson was racist. But when I defended him on Twitter, and I also defended him on MLB Network, people looked at me like I was some kind of Uncle Tom, like I hated myself, like I hated my race. I'm like, no, you guys don't understand. I watch baseball, and I understand uh, the black community might not be that uh, deep in baseball or watching baseball, which I hope changes one day. I hope that there are more black baseball players. They're working on it. Uh, I hope that there are more black people at the ballpark, like Mookie Betts literally wrote on his shirt during All-Star, we need more black people at the ballpark. But, you know, when I defended Josh Donaldson, it was it was nothing about, uh, you know, not taking the side of my race. But that's the whole thing. That's racism if you just take the side of the black guy because you're black. I watched the game. I saw what led up to that, right? The Yankees were dominating the White Sox. The White Sox, people told me going in the last season, they were the favorite to win the American League. 
Tim Anderson is a hothead. Tim Anderson was suspended for using the N-word. Tim Anderson chucked his bat, and then when he got the attention for chucking his bat in a disrespectful way, he went into Sports Illustrated and said, yeah, I feel like I'm the new Jackie Robinson. You know, I'm I'm like he's breaking the fun barrier. I'm bringing fun to the game. Like, bro, what? It was just so misplaced. It was so wrong. I could tell he's not a historian of the game. I could tell he's not really a baseball fan. He's a talented baseball player. But he he got a little uh, ahead of himself with the I'm the new Jackie Robinson. I feel like I'm the new Jackie Robinson. And clearly, Josh Donaldson, who I think is more of a historian of the game and more in tune with everything going on in the game, from spider tack and revolutions and what pitchers are using sticky stuff to what players are saying in the media about themselves, Josh Donaldson used that as a way to get under his skin by calling him Jackie. And it blew up. It blew up. It was lit on fire by uh, Tony La Russa, who's no longer in baseball. Goodbye. Tony La Russa added flames to that. If you guys remember, you know, he just uh, elevated it to almost like Josh Donaldson used the N-word. And it's like, come on, here we are with this. And it just brought a lot of negative headlines and attention um, to the game. But I know that the Yankees fans listening and that have listened to me understand, like, if I thought it was racist, I would have came out and said that. But what I thought it was, it was Tim Anderson getting beat up. He couldn't beat the Yankees. Josh Donaldson is an agitator. He got under his skin, so Tim Anderson wanted to elevate it and be fake tough. If you're that mad, swing on him. You won't. If you don't play, right, Tim Anderson said, oh, I don't play. I don't play like that. I don't really play at all. What are you talking about? Josh Donaldson said you've been playing like that for years. Since he was with the Braves, and then the Twins, and then the Yankees, he's been calling you Jackie when he gets on base, gets to second base, and you're at shortstop in earshot of him. It just blew up because we're here in New York with extra media coverage, and it's the Yankees, and that was divisive. Honestly, inside the clubhouse, like I said, Judge didn't defend him. And I know Judge doesn't necessarily come out and say he's black, but you know maybe Judge felt some kind of way. I mean, we don't really know the whole story. I, I consider Judge half black. Judge didn't come out and, and have Josh Donaldson's back. And I think that was the start of, you know, just people looking at him differently on top of what he had to say about Garrett Cole. And then they had to, of course, you know, let bygones be bygones in spring training last year and patch that right up. Good work, Cash. Like, literally adding this guy to the team in the clubhouse for what? Oh, let me guess. There's numbers on his defensive rating and what he does with the glove. Please. And the caller also asked about um, the Yankees bullpen. And I didn't have time to get to my thoughts on the Yankees bullpen because we had to go to break. And I'll do that now. I am excited for this Yankees bullpen. Why? Because Michael King is back. If you remember listening to me last year, I was ready to almost throw the whole season away after they kept playing with Aroldis Chapman, after they kept forcing him in there, and Aroldis Chapman couldn't throw strikes, couldn't get outs, so they have to rush Michael King. Get up, Mike. Get up. You got to save the day. You got to bail us out. We pushed the Chapman button again. Like, we didn't know how that was going to end. And Michael King doesn't get his proper warm-up. He goes in and throws his arm out. People were telling me, oh, Keith, it was going to happen anyway. You don't know that. All I know is how it happened. And I attach it to the Yankees using Chapman, and Chapman couldn't get it done. So Michael King had to save the day, and that ended his season. I had visions of Michael King getting us big outs in October that never actually materialized. Maybe it can happen this year. 
the pride of Tom's River North, Ron Marinasio. He's back. It's He's not a rookie. It's his second year. I think he's going to be tough for us. We didn't have him in the postseason last year. That's why you had to go to guys like Clark Schmidt and Frankie Montas. And I have PTSD from this past year, seeing the Astros sweep the Yankees in Yankee Stadium and celebrate on our field. They got to make it right. They got to they gotta push forward. And I, th- I think they will this year. You're not going to see Aroldis Chapman. You're not going to see Zach Britton. You know, you're not going to see Clark Schmidt coming out of the bullpen, we hope, right? We're going to see Wandy Peralta, who showed us what kind of guy he was last year. They're going to give Clay Holmes probably an opportunity to build on the 29 scoreless innings he had, breaking a Mariano Rivera record. They're going to give him a chance to be the closer. If he can't do it, Jonathan Loizaga could be the guy. He's feared. You heard Alex Bregman talking about how he's got the nastiest stuff. That's the one pitcher they asked him, the guy you hate facing. He said Jonathan Loizaga. Tommy Canely is back. He's an energy guy, and I'm pumped to see what he has. You know what he throws. He's a left-handed guy, and he's going to come up big in some spots. And we'll get back to the phones. I could talk Yankees all day. Keep McPherson on the fan, 877-337-6666. Now we're talking Yankees. We're talking Knicks, Nets, uh, Daniel Jones, uh, Tim Anderson, Josh Donaldson, all that type of stuff. It's uh, sports talk radio, so we can talk about everything. Let's go back and talk to my guy Jarvis up in Harlem. Welcome back. Uh, what's up, Keith? How you doing? I'm good, bro. How are you? I'm doing all right. You know, I want to talk about the Yankees and, you know, um, say what they got to do this year, just how they get the pass. Um, the Houston Astros Sisters, Justin Verland is not with the Astros, no, now he's with the Mets. So I don't know how the rotation is going to look like in, in, with the Houston Astros, how the Yankees going to beat them. Yeah, we're hoping that, okay, you take the Cy Young winner away from them, that they're weakened. Um, we're hoping that they're not as strong pitching. But, man, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm not going to hold you. They, they, they just added an MVP. They just added Jose Abreu to that lineup. Jeremy Pena, I literally went to the gym yesterday, and I don't usually just do triceps. But after seeing how ripped this guy's triceps are, I'm like, I could work out harder on my triceps. I'm going to spend 30, 40 minutes just doing tricep exercises. Oh, good. You know, hopefully, you, yeah. Hopefully, you can just get your workout. You know, just you know. I, I try to work out every night. You know, I try to work out every day. You know, just it's hard to do, man. To the hours fly by. We got responsibilities, and now they've got people filming in the gym, and then they've got people on Twitter commenting on people filming in the gym. The public gym is not the greatest place to be with all these influencers and TikTokers. Thanks for the call, Jarvis. We got to take a break. I feel like we take a thousand breaks. <laughs> We have to. It's part of the whole business and the gig and the job. This is not a podcast. Keith McPherson on the fan. I'll be right back. World Series over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. It's their 27th World Championship. The most of any team in any sport in the history of professional sports. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. And we still have 
a good amount of the show left to take your calls and talk all around the sports on the fan. Your nighttime host, Keith McPherson. Appreciate you guys tweeting at me, at Keith McPherson, and calling the show, and showering me in compliments and positive energy and good thoughts. We came a long way. It wasn't always this way. But I think I'll get back into the uh, haterade when we get into the season. You know, I like to troll the Mets fans a little bit. Not the Mets. These are my Mets. These are the make-it-happen Mets. King Cohen, Moneybag Cohen, the make-it-happen Mets. Yeah, these are the Mets that I paid the most attention to ever. Last season and now this season, you know. They're ranking uh, Scherzer and Verlander in the top 15 players in MLB. These guys are talking about a title. Steve Cohen hasn't backed away from the talk of his title expectations. Good. It's good for baseball. It's good for the city. It's good for the crosstown crossover rivalry. We're going to touch the money again, just like we did all last year. Both teams are good, so we're going to say Subway Series, Subway Series, Subway Series. Wouldn't it be great if there's a Subway Series? Wouldn't it be great if one of the teams can win a World Series? Let's just okay, let's just do that. Like I'm at the point now where I, do, I don't care. I want the Yankees to win the World Series every single year since I was about five years old. But if the Mets beat them to the punch, it's going to be good for business. It's going to be good for conversation, and I will see you at the parade. Things coming out of camp, man. Uh, Kodai Senga, I've been talking about Kodai Senga. His adjustment to Major League Baseball, I'm very interested in. I see he's on Twitter mixing it up, and I'm rooting for the guy. I've compared him to Masahiro Tanaka. I know they have a friendship. I can't wait to see him pitch and this ghost fork pitch, and I I hope that it's not a long adjustment. I know Mets fans are going to go crazy if this guy takes, like, two or three months to, like, get acclimated. You don't have that much time. You know what? I can't wait for it, but I also, I've been thinking about this for a while with Senga is that you have two of these guys, these aces, yes, in Verlander and Scherzer, and then, but I'm just thinking like, Scherzer has had two years in a row where his arm has just fallen off at the tail end of his career, tail end of the season, and Verlander, I I don't know how long he can keep this going, so if, but let's say both these guys are injured or they fall out of the rotation for a little bit, just to rest up or something. You're depending on a guy that's trying to adjust from the NPB, and he's adjusting and trying to acclimate himself to this five-man rotation. Yep. And you're asking him to be like to carry and be the ace if those two guys can't. He's do adjusting it. to the mound. He's adjusting to the language, the customs. Wait till he gets into these different ballparks. It's going to be different for him. That's why I said I'm rooting for the guy. I hope it is. I hope he's, he just rises to the occasion. And I hope that Scherzer and Verlander stay healthy and the pressure in the spotlight isn't on him so much. I worry about that. And, I, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, when was the last time? I always worry about with like Japanese pitchers because I, I track these guys. I love it because, uh, you know, a couple – like last time, like Shohei Otani, unicorn, once-in-a-generation talent, never going to see a guy More like that. More than advertised. Exactly. And – a lot of these pitchers, they they're so incons- like they fall apart. You get success stories, guys like Hiroki Kuroda, Hideo Nomo. From Hiroki Kuroda to Masahiro Tanaka, number eighteen to number nineteen, those were my guys. Exactly. Like- and I'm just the thing about I worry about with Senga is that I don't like when these guys have like this 
gimmick pitch or like they have like this well advertised like pitch with the name that exactly they're known remember for. Daisuke Matsuzaka he had started off pretty decently with the Red Sox he had, mm-hmm. had that big hype about this gyro ball and he <laughs> fell off yeah I, I'm it's just not it's it's Major League Baseball these are the best of the best like these guys can hit and if you throw it over the plate if they could see it like we heard you know Pete Alonso say he couldn't see the pitch and already gave him some compliments but like um, that's just what Pete's going to say about his teammate in spring training the first time he sees it. Let's let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Hopefully we're, we're getting some Mets fans uh, that are thinking about things that are going to call and weigh in before the show is over. The other thought I had, as I've seen Carlos Correa check in in Minnesota, and they've got their new uniforms, and you know there's buzz around the Twins because they were able to actually get him back. I had said on air that, you know, Carlos Correa is going to stay with Mets fans. Like, you know, Mets fans and New York baseball fans are going to be watching the rest of his career, and he's going to be tied to the Mets. No, nah, I don't think that's actually the case. He's not going to live rent-free in Mets fans' minds. He's literally stuck in Minnesota. We'll only think about him when he faces the Yankees or the Mets, but it's not like we're going to be tracking his career thinking about what could have been for the Mets. The Mets are stacked. They have a bunch of guys. They have enough going on. Like I really don't think he's going to live rent-free in all of the Mets fans' mind. Maybe like 30% of Mets fans are going to be thinking about the one that got away. But the one that got away that is already living rent-free in your minds is Jacob deGrom. I said, like, over a month ago, when that article came out and Buck Showalter is talking about, yeah, I talked to Jake, and, you know, Jake said that there's more to the story. I'm like, no, 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 no. Stop. Stop. He's gone. Like like Evan Roberts. He's gone, and there's nothing we can do about it. it you got to turn the page. And today we see picture day. This guy, uh, you know, he comes out there, and I just love it because all the things you think about DeGrom, right, he's pretty quiet, and we don't know, and you just hear rumors about DeGrom. But when I saw this, I'm like, yeah, this confirms, like, what type of dude he is. Like, you couldn't have come up, like, was this a troll move? Was this intentional? Like, what was this? So basically today we see the picture day photo of Jacob DeGrom, and the other stuff to me doesn't really matter, but, like, you fill out these different questions. I'm trying to pull up the picture. It's got, all right, Rangers photo day, year nine, position right-handed pitcher, favorite food, burger. <laughs> You're a burger, Jacob DeGrom. Um, I love my family. Favorite color, blue. Makes sense. My friends are teammates. Okay, you just met them the last couple months. I guess, you know, whatever. That's what friends are for. It doesn't take you long to get acclimated. But childhood hero, he wrote none. You you didn't. There was no one. Come on, I could I could rip off fifteen guys that I looked up to as a kid. Right now, you've probably heard me talk about it on the fan. I still look up to guys. I look up to guys that work here at WFN. Nobody was your childhood hero. <laughs> None, because you're the goat, right? When you're just the born goat, you you can't have a childhood hero. You're your own hero. Not even your parents. Not even the not even the people that raised you. Didn't, didn't somebody put the ball in your hand? Didn't somebody take you to practice? Didn't somebody sacrifice some for you? They're not your hero. Nope. That's Jacob DeGrom. And he's got the biggest smile on that I've seen maybe ever. So that's who's going to live rent-free in the minds of Mets fans. Let's get back to the phones. In Red Bank, Gary, you're on the fan. Hey, Keith. How you doing, man? I'm good. Blessed. Great job to have, and uh, I take a lot of pride in doing it, and I appreciate people like yourself that join me while I'm at work. 
Yeah, man. Well, you're doing a great job, so we appreciate it. I want to get back to Tim Anderson and his audacity of comparing himself to Jackie Robinson. I just don't understand where he thinks he's even close to that man. What Jackie Robinson accomplished in college, what Jackie Robinson accomplished in the racial barriers that he broke down, what Jackie Robinson did for the sport of baseball, and then what Jackie Robinson did after baseball, which a lot of people don't talk about, that man was a business icon after the fact. You put that package together, and you think you're going to compare yourself to that? You're crazy. Yeah. I just don't understand his audacity. I don't understand this guy's mantra. I don't get it. No, and you know, it was, I think, now like four years ago. I don't know if he would say it again, but at the time, I'm like, okay, the, the attention got to his head. This is before he won the batting title. This is before he really burst on the scene. This is where we all just knew him as, oh, bat chuck guy uh, from the south side, right? This guy, that's why I said he clearly doesn't know, right? Just the things that Jackie Robinson had to go through to get on the field, stay on the field, stay with the team. You're going to compare yourself. You're going to put yourself in the same sentence and say that you're the new Jackie Robinson. It's been easy for you compared to what Jackie had to go through. And you, you're you not breaking any barriers. You're not innovating anything because you threw your bat with two hands. So, yeah, when it when it came down to it, I knew all the background. I knew the baseball of it. I knew the dynamic between Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson and the dynamic that had been going on in that series. I was at the game. I was literally in Legends when the, like, fake scuffle broke out, and I posted a video. I'm like, this is nonsense. This is all WWE. These guys aren't really going to yeah. fight. Tim Anderson's just tired of getting beat by the Yankees, and he's irritated. So the way that he, like, takes it out, he can't take it out on him at the plate. He can't take it out on him on the field. He, he's got to, like, try and be a tough guy, and now – all of that turned in. I remember Josh Josh Donaldson looked like Tiger Woods when Tiger Woods had to answer the question about the tampon that he gave to Justin Thomas. <laughs> Tiger, Tiger Woods had this look of like, I can't believe I actually have to speak on something that was between us quietly, a prank between friends that wasn't supposed to hit the media. Josh Donaldson didn't think that Tim Anderson was going to go run and tell the media. He called me Jackie. That's racist. It, it's not racist, bro. You called yourself Jackie first, and that was an insult to all of us. It's an insult to it's an insult to Rosa Parks. It's an insult to Malcolm. It's an insult to Martin Luther King. It's yeah. an insult. It's, to it's Black History Paul Month, Paul. and every Black History Month yeah. they bring Jackie Robinson's name up. They're never gonna bring up Tim Anderson on We're Black History Month. Thanks for the call, Gary. I don't I don't want to keep it too racial. I told you guys, like I forget when it was. My wife, you know, she goes through Reddit. She goes through Facebook. Twitter when she gets a chance just to see what people are saying about her husband. And she told me, she's like, yes, yeah, someone said that you you always go to race, that you're too racial. And I'm like, nah, I'm definitely not. But it's Black History Month and someone has to speak on these things. And I think I'm probably the best equipped per person on the station to do that. And, I, and I'm never going to run from those conversations. They need to be had. That's what's going to push us forward and get us to a better place. And if someone is writing under one of my tweets or something like, oh, it's always race with this guy, you've got it confused. You've got it backwards. That's not it at all. We're having conversations that I feel like more people should have. I'm just not afraid to do it on a platform like WFAN. 877-337-6666. Your boy KM to AM. We've got an hour left. Call me up and join the show. I'll be right back.